How many can remember what we've been speaking about for the past four weeks? Overcoming. What does overcoming mean? Quitting what we used to be, quitting what we used to do. How many has something in your life you need to overcome? Okay, I'll ask you one more time. How many has something in your life that you need to overcome? Yeah. Uh, go ahead and throw our pictures up here, if you would. That is a, a gorgeous picture of, I don't know who he is, and it's kind of gross. Go to the next one. I can't look that one too long. Oh. He's got good teeth. Overcoming your mouth. Overcoming my mouth. How many can relate to times that your mouth has got you in trouble? One over here. Really? How many knows that every time it's our mouth that gets us in trouble, it also is our mouth that can get us out of trouble? The things we say, the things we operate in this domain right here, it creates a lot of drama or creates a lot less drama. Our mouth. I, uh, I'm just trying to get used to these. Yeah, so if you see me looking like this, I just done, I went, oh, blurry. Uh, I'm just getting used to them, so just bear with me. Um, same whatever comes to mind. Have you ever been a person, or maybe you are a person, that something comes to your mind, there's no filter, just, it just blurts out. And then a lot of information is out there that probably didn't need to be, or somebody was in the environment around you who didn't need to hear what you had to say. Or maybe you said something to your spouse just because you were just frustrated, you were uh, aggravated, and so you just blurted something out to them and found out that that was a bad decision, and it came back to haunt you later. Um, arguing, overcoming your mouth, arguing what I think is always right. What I think is always right. You got to be careful with that, especially if you're the head of your home or the head of your business or head of this church. That you can, it's really easy to begin to think that you're always right. And uh, it's something that you have to evaluate with his leading and other people influencing and speaking to tell you if it's right or not. Um, talking when I should be quiet. I want everybody to look at me for just a second. There's some of you who have a, ten- a tendency in church to talk when you should be. Yeah. There's no time for talking necessarily in church. There may be something you can say to your neighbor, but, but it should be about the message. I only speak for about, it's 1108. Gonna be coming up for 10 till. 1108. There's a lot of things that, well, let me just give you an example. When I was a little boy, oh, I was about 12 years old. I wasn't little. But I used to sit, oh, about where, well, we only had, I think, six rows in my dad's church. And we only had two rows. So uh, I would sit, like, about, oh, where Derek Felker is. And I would sit right here, and I would just do like any, any 12-year-old would do. I'd sit here, and, and I'd sit with older teenagers. And I'd be talking, and he'd be laughing. They'd be laughing. My dad would be preaching. He'd say, Dwight, come up to the front seat. So I'd have to get up. 
And I spent so many, many, many services right here. And there was a few times as I was sitting there and my dad was preaching, I'd get kind of sleepy. Let me tell you, as a dad, you keep your kids on the front row. Good job, Layton. And Tyson, plenty of room up here. But when I would get sleepy or heavy-eyed, my dad would walk up, come up off the platform, come down to me, and haul off and just kick me real hard in the bottom of the shoe. And I'd wake up the rest of the service. You see, I never would have been there. I never would have fallen asleep there if I hadn't first been somewhere doing something I shouldn't have done. I know my wife thinks that I was perfect my whole life, but I wasn't. That is not true. There's an acronym that I used about, oh, goodness, four or five years ago now. It was on a Wednesday night, I think. It might have been a Sunday morning. And um, I used it, and it's always stuck out to me, and probably many other people it has too. But why am I, why am I talking? Wait. W-A-I-T. Why am I talking? There is so much authority and so much power and so much uh, unity with, with things that we say, if we say them in the right manner. But many times when we're talking... We shouldn't be. This is the first time I'd heard this as God was talking about listening to his wife. And he would, they were arguing or whatever, so finally she was letting him have it. And he finally thought of the name, the word, why am I talking? And that's what every man in here, don't look up. That's what every man in here needs to do. Every time you get into a big heated discussion or a heated argument, quit talking. That's right, Paul. So if you are talking, what usually happens when you keep talking when things are already heated? It gets worse. Oh, so much. I'm not going to tell the women what to do. I'm not. But man, I can tell you as a man to the men in here, quit talking. Just let it go. If they need to keep talking about it, let them. Because y'all know that a woman needs to talk it out. Look at your husband, at your wives about this time. That'd be good. Okay, but it's true. Um, I'm talking about our, our mouths and the authority in our mouths and what we speak and what we say. Wish I could keep my mouth shut sometime. And I'll say too much and I'll let everybody know what's on my mind. I have to say that uh, in the last couple of years, when I went through what I went through a couple of years ago, it has allowed me to sit and, and just listen. I don't always respond back. I used to always have a a thought or thought my way was better or thought that I had the the right thing to say. And so now I I honestly can say that I can sit here. I just get quiet. I get quiet because there's no, the reason I would be talking is trying to prove my point and now I'll just be quiet. You think it's true? 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 Okay. Tyson, he always... um, Anyway, that's me. Why am I talking? And we need to be careful with what we say. Um, how do you overcome that? How do you overcome it? Is it by praying? Is it by listening to God? Or is it by praying? Is it by listening to God? What, what, do you, what does it take to overcome this ability just to talk nonstop or talk in, in uh, situations that you don't need to be talking if things are difficult and, and things are complicated anyway, you just need to be quiet and don't talk. 
The way you learn to overcome, the way that we learn to overcome is by taking things captive. And it's taking your tongue captive. Every single one of us in here, there are times in our life, and women and men alike, that we begin to speak things and say things that aren't true, and even if they are true, they don't need to be said. And we don't take those things captive. And if we need, you know what happens when you take your thoughts captive and you, you take the things that you're about to say captive? The next morning, you don't have the same thoughts. You don't have the same feelings about something. It's amazing that we get so ate up and so consumed with what we're talking about that it causes more grief. We, we learned a great lesson from Jesus. The greatest lesson I think that I can relate in Scripture is something that happened to Jesus. Go to John chapter 8. Learn to take your thoughts captive. Learn to take your thoughts captive. You can tell a lot about a person. You can tell about a lot of per, about a person's personality and, and their demeanor when you're talking about things. But something you need to pay special attention to is when somebody sits quietly and they pause. There's a lot of wisdom when you pause. There's a lot of wisdom in it. Your ability to think things through and without just blurting out in, re- in a reaction to something, you're able to pause and wait and gather your thoughts. I wasn't always one. I, was, I could be opinionated when I was a little younger and a lot younger. In uh, my 20s and 30s, I had uh, opinions about everything. And you asked me and I just told you. And I used a little wisdom and a little bit of experience. In John chapter 8, Jesus gave a perfect lesson of how we are to speak. John chapter 8, verse 2. But early in the morning, he went back to the temple, and all the people came in, and he sat and and taught them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and they forced her to stand before the people. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught having sexual relations with a man who is not her husband. Now the law of Moses commands that we stone her death Stoned to death, every woman who does this, what do you say that we should do? They were asking him to trick him so they could have some charge against him. Notice what Jesus did. But Jesus bent over and started writing on the ground with his finger. I don't know if you've heard lots of questions or accusations or things that he, that he said. And maybe he wrote their names, maybe other things. I don't think he did anything, but I think he just began to sit down and let them think about what they were saying. And they were thinking, oh, well, we got him. We got him in this one. There's a lot more to this, but we got him. And he kept riding around, and they began to harass him, and, and he began to piddle. Because one thing about when you sit in pause, this wasn't a situation to uh, bring justice to a, a woman. This is a, a situation to bring judgment against what Jesus said. And he sat there a little while, and he just waited. Then he ro- rose up. When they continued to ask Jesus their question, he, he, he raised up and he said, anyone here who has never sinned can throw the first stone at her. And then at that, Jesus bent back over and he rolled on the ground again. 
First, he paused. He took time to ride in the dirt, kind of ignoring all the things that were saying. Also trying to gather the things in his mind that he needs to say. If, you're, if you quickly react to things, you can never recall those things back. When you are talking to your wife, or you're talking to your kids, or you're talking to an employee, you can never bring those things back to your mouth. And once they're said, there's, a, there's an image that that person that hurt them has developed. Has anybody ever got an image of somebody based on their words? It wasn't a very appealing message. It wasn't a very uh, encouraging message. Matter of fact, you, you lumped because of something you heard him say. I'll give you an example. Uh, years ago, my wife and I were at Cape Eating, about 10 years ago, I think, something like that. And Bobby Blair came in. I've told you this story before. And Bobby Blair come in, and Tina and, and, uh, and Jane, and, and they go, uh, we walked in the door, kind of met them face to face, right? There we were. And, and Tina goes, oh, this is uh, Brother and Sister Hensley from the church in Bloomfield, blah, blah. And I said, okay, yeah, nice to meet you. And I just went on. I just went on. My first impression was what? I'm busy. I got to go somewhere. Nice to meet you. It really is, but I've got to go. Come on, Wanda. His first impression was what? Typical preacher. Typical snotty preacher. And I wonder how many times we have gave the impression of something that wasn't what it should have been. Jesus gave a, a purpose impression. He said he rode and he rode in the dirt and he ignored them. He paused in his thinking. Listen to me, please. The men, especially here, are quick to say things, and wives that are quick to say things, you need to pause before you speak. Talk about overcoming something. If you don't learn to take a captive thoughts that you have, they will always keep you captive. Because people always keep you accountable for what you said. Overcoming them, how do, I, how do I overcome this? First thing you do, we have to start taking them. So we think about what we're saying. We think about what we were about to say. Then we say, well, that probably isn't the best decision. And you learn a little by little by little. The little things you take, take, that you take, take captive develop into big and great personality things in your life. So Jesus, uh, he's kind of ignoring them. The second time, he never addressed the issue he accused, the, he accused the hearts. Let me, let me explain what I mean. He never addressed the issue they wanted him to address. When he stood up, he said, those who are without sin, you can cast the first stone. He never, ever brought attention to her. Never. He brought attention to what they said about their accusations. And they took it and they, and they instantly pondered and he sat back down because he wasn't looking at everybody saying, you, 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 you have all these problems. He sat back down even after they were guilty, he sat down and began to pause, began to ride again and, and maybe doodle or stick man or, or I don't know what he's doing, playing in the dirt. But there's something unique that was happening. By his lack of words, he was bringing great, Great conviction upon their hearts. And they didn't even know it. They went to, to accuse and to, uh, to capture him in something, saying him wrong. So he began to stoop down, rolled in the dirt, and they all began to go, go their way, starting with the oldest and ending with the youngest. 
Because the oldest had experience and they should have learned when they heard a word of wisdom. The next thing he began to do, he spoke to her. But how did he speak to her? Let me tell you, this is the same situation we can apply in each of our lives, in our marriages, in our, our relationship with our kids. You pause them and you wait. And then you, then you can say things with love and, and, and a way that, that would get you thinking. And then the third thing he begins to say when he when he's began to address her, he spoke to her in a non-condemning way. He wasn't putting her down. He wouldn't tell her she was a lowlife. She was a scum of the earth. He didn't at all. Many times we think if we know something, we gotta go proclaiming it to everybody so everybody else knows. And how many people's personality and, and situations in their life have been ruined because of things that you said about them? Maybe they confided in you. Overcoming your mouth. Overcoming all these thoughts that you have. I remember um, I heard somebody say this years ago. I don't know who it was. I was probably young when the first time I heard it. If it come in here, come in your mind, you ought to go ahead and say it. You might as well say it now. Is that true? Third thing. That's the third thing. The fourth thing. You know what was kind of cool? Look at verse, uh, verse 9. We'll read that. Those who heard what Jesus, heard Jesus, began to leave by one. First the older men and then the others. Then Jesus was left alone with a woman. First of all, he didn't condemn her when he began to talk to her. And Jesus raised up and said unto her, Woman, where, you, where thou thine accusers? And she said, Has no one judged you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus answered, I also don't judge you guilty. I'm going to stop for just a second. You know what was also cool? It's not everybody's business when you're in an argument. It's not everybody's business to hear how right you are and how wrong somebody else is. Or if you come to church telling everybody how right you were, reacted and you responded in a way that's oh so right, he waited for the men to leave. Because he didn't tell the, he didn't bring judgment upon her, bring direction upon her for everybody else to hear. It was between him and her. I mean, I mean a lot to you, but that spoke bunches to me. He took time to let everybody leave, and he was patient. His disciples were probably thinking to hurry up, just like they were other times. But he just gave her time. He gave the people time to leave, so he never confronted her in front of all the others. And then the last thing he, he began to say to her, go and sin no more. You can be nice to people. You can bring a word of correction without being arrogant in what you say. He said to her, go and sin no more. Why did he go and say, go and sin no more? Was that for his blessing? Is that for his uh, increase and blessing to come in his life? No, it was all about her. He said, go and sin no more. Why? Because he was tired of her messing around and having no telling how many kind of husbands. And he never convicted her or condemned her. This is not that we have nothing to say. We can get caught up in a moment. I think it's one of the greatest examples of what Jesus represented. He paused. He convicted. He didn't condemn. Then he gave her direction. I could go to James in chapter 1, verse 26. 
I've been talking about condemnation. Maybe I haven't spent enough time on, on remedies. But whether it's unforgiveness or, or whether it's self or the poor or whatever it is, you have to learn to take the, those thoughts that, that get you to go and do certain things, react and respond in certain ways, get them under control by taking them captive and just pause a minute and take them captive. Maybe some of you in here were big fighters growing up. I mean, you fought all the time. Maybe you still fight. I don't know. But when I was growing up, I, wasn't, uh, I didn't fight a lot. I don't like fights. I don't like seeing blood going everywhere. I just don't. Okay, I'll just tell you. When I was, I remember in fourth grade, big stuff, fourth grade, there was a guy, his name was Gary, I won't say who else, but he was Gary, and he was wanting to fight me or something. He just bugged me. I just kept ignoring him, ignoring him, ignoring him, just letting him talk, and, and he got him a bunch of guys walking behind me. You know, when you're in fourth grade, you're pretty size, you know. Yeah. We're all walking. He was walking behind me, and one of his little buddies decided I was walking down the hill to the basketball court. I was going to play basketball. That's what I did every day at recess. I take my ball to school, I protect that thing, protect the rock, you know. Okay, dorky. But I would go down the hill, and, and one of his buddies went up to me, and he knocked the ball out of my arm. So what I do? I ran all the way down the hill. We have a lot of hills from, from Kentucky. I got the ball, took it back up there, handed it to a girl named Sheila. I didn't say a word. I just went up, and I mashed his nose. Blood was everywhere. It was terrible. Had to have surgery, reconstructive surgery. So faces, no, just kidding. Okay. <laughs> but sorry. Yeah. But there, regardless, whatever. I I thought it was patient. I thought it was being good. I thought it wasn't responding to all this mouthing he was doing, all this intimidation he was doing, and all these things he was doing. And I didn't really have a plan, but I had a lot of discipline in my life as a fourth grader and keeping certain things at bay and, and not entangling with things I shouldn't. But when they hit the ball out of my hand, it was over. I didn't think about what I was going to do, but if you would have asked me, I would have told you what I'm going to do. Because every step I took running to get that ball, and every step I came back up with it in my hands, and I looked at him, and I handed it to Sheila, and then I stepped, and I, it was one intention. Then me and him were best buddies after that. I took him up to the, to the school. Man, I'm sorry. That's oh, okay. I shouldn't have been mouthing. I'm sorry. I'm apologizing. And took him up there, and we lied and said he fell and hit his nose on a rock. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> But it's amazing what our mouth can get us in trouble doing. Caught up in the moment. We get really frustrated. We get really beside ourselves and we do things we normally would never do. James 1.26, uh, put it in the King James or NIV or whatever up here. I like the way it's worded. If any man among you seem to be religious. I'm going to stop there. Is there anybody in here that seems to be religious or people say you're religious or you go to church or you're faithful and all these things? If you do not bridle your tongue, 
You do not bridle your tongue. What is bridles? What is the purpose of a bridle? Pull back, the season up to pull back and, and get you to stop? Well, as soon as taking control of something at once was just flapping freely. Control, you're taking a moment, you're pausing for a moment to take control of that thing that was out of control. If you're religious, if, you, if, you're, if, you're, born, if you're born again, if you're blood-bought, if, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, you ought to have the sense and the conviction that you have a little restraint when something happens in your life, that you restrain yourself when you begin to speak. If any man among you seem to be religious, seem to be religious, and he bridles not his tongue, he deceiveth who? He thinks he's deceiving everybody else, but he's really deceiving himself. You know in your life if you're convicted, if you've got things in your life that you're saying that proceeds out of your mouth, it's ungodly. I don't care if you talk right 80% of the time, but 20% of the time there's things that can proceed out of your mouth that shouldn't be. You don't have a bridle. You haven't pulled back to, to bring control of things that you're saying in your life. A tie rain on your, on your tongue. Control what we say. You ever notice a, a pattern when you say things? A pattern? For some reason, every time you get upset about something, that's the one time you justify whatever you say. Something aggravates you, you can just say what you want because it's, it's a, now don't get embarrassed and look away from me or whatever, but, but it's the truth. So if we're ever going to get these things in control of our life and, and overcoming things, you're going to have to be aware of things in your life. I'm going to give you a, a little something I've said from time to time. How many believes there's other things that we say, but no, not cursing? Well, okay, let's say cursing. Let's say, how many, how many in here likes a good cursing? I mean, you like somebody to give you one good talking. Anybody like it? How many's ever said, man, if I had good cursing, you called somebody up and said, man, I thank you for cussing me out, man. That done me a world of good. Usually when I hear somebody say, somebody said something to them, it's not good. Okay. How about if you say these things? You may not be cussing. You might have a problem with it. You might have a problem with any foul word, but I'll never find a spouse. Oh, I'll never find anybody. Where am I ever going to find anybody? Nothing good is ever going to happen to me. Who would ever want me? I'm the exception, man. Other people, you're the rule. I'm the exception. I can't. And guess what? You probably won't. You probably won't. If you're seeing so much garbage in your life, your mind is full of the same kind of garbage. It's easy. Sometimes we say things out loud like that so people will pity us. But it becomes the past when you continue to say it. We're paving a path for our life. Chapter 6 of Luke. In uh, chapter 6, verse 43. A good, good tree does not produce bad fruit, nor does a bad tree produce good fruit. 
Each tree is known by its own fruit, and people don't gather figs from thorn bushes. They don't get ripes from bushes. Good people bring bad things out of the good they store. Good people bring good things out of the good they store in their hearts. But evil people bring evil things out of the evil they store in their hearts. People speak to things that are in their hearts. Man, a little bit of discipline, a little bit of control, taking a little bit of time, a pause just for a minute before you respond. It's so critical in each of our lives. I can go to uh, uh, go to Jeremiah chapter seven. We're gonna skip some of this. Controlling our mouth. There's been times I like for, I like to put a bit in my wife's mouth. I would. That's honest. You can forgive me, but I'd love to. There's a lot of times she likes to put two or three in mine. Because we say things we shouldn't say. We speak things we shouldn't speak. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed when you haven't been to church in a while that you begin to slip? You ever notice that the things you say and the things that you don't even say them, but they begin to come into your mind? What is it about church, man? What is it about following Jesus that we get at church? Uh, just, I begin to think about this, and, and regardless of who you are, myself included, when you begin to not show up in church and you're not faithful, it's amazing how you start having the wrong kind of thoughts come into your head. It's so easy to let discouragement settle in. And the longer you sit out of church, the, the more discouragement settles and then you begin to speak things. Not only think things, you begin to speak them. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 24. But your ancestors did not listen or pay attention to me. They were stubborn and they did whatever the evil hearts wanted. They went backward, not forward. Man, I thought about each of us. When you're not listening and you're constantly letting this run, you're, not, you're no longer going forward. You're beginning to go backwards. I don't care where you are in your life. The only place for a believer to go is forward. Maybe you, you come to a rough place in your marriage. Y'all you know, need to get some things remedied in your marriage. But there's no place and no room for in my life, in your life, to go backwards in your relationship. It's only going forward. Generations were affected by the scripture I just read. They were affected by the previous ones. Regressing. The belief system was contaminated. Y'all know my dad was 48 when he was killed, right? And, but what you don't know is that uh, Charles, Charlie, what do you call him? Charles was, died at 53. My uncle Homer, he died at 50. My grandpa died at 55. My dad died at 48. What are you seeing? You're seeing a pattern in my family's life. I remember after all of these had died, after uh, my dad had died, he was the last one to die at 48. I began, my brother and Daryl and Doris, four of us boys in the family, and we were all just thinking, and some, one of the mothers said something about it, but we began to think, there's a pattern going on in this life of ours 
Are we going to die in our 40s? Are we going to die in our 50s? We watched this pattern begin to manifest itself, and we thought about over the years of things that we, we participated in. And the same with, it could have been in my life and my brothers and Daryl's and Duel's. Each of us could have died in our 40s and 50s. Maybe there's something, something in your life. Maybe your grandfather was an alcoholic. Maybe your, your father was an alcoholic. For some reason, you think it's just justifiable for you. Or maybe there was a, a sexual sin in your grandpa, grandfather's life, and, and then it passed down to your father, then passed down to you. It's amazing how we begin to accept things into our life, and they have no, no right to our life, but for some reason, we bow down and we let them come in. I remember my mom, and this was praying, Wanda, you remember this, I'm sure. We had to take authority. We have to say, I'm, we're, we're not going to die. We're going to live. We're going to choose life over death. And that is not coming in upon, upon our lives and upon our families. And then all of them, for then, my wife had been raising all the kids by herself. It's just important that you have to notice things and pay attention. A corrupted pattern could have been, could have been birthed in my, my brother and Daryl and Doyle and myself, but we abandoned it. We abandoned it. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. We weren't supposed to come up yet, but I'm going to close with this. The power of our tongue. Tongue. It's a little bit thing that lives in between our teeth. We bite it sometimes, not on purpose. It hurts. Uh, some of us drink coffee, so we don't taste anything anymore. We just everything tastes like coffee. Uh, others of us don't drink coffee, so we have okay, whatever. Um, but it's a little bitty member right in here that sits in between our teeth. But it affects every area of our life. Everything about our tongue is really, it has carnal desires. We had to fast. I'm, I'm, I said it kind of kidding around about, about liking to eat some M&Ms and liking to have a Pepsi and, you know, just liking to have some of that stuff. And it was all in humor, all that was. Not that I didn't try all about those things, but, but it was just it's one of those things. Because, oh, how that desired to have a taste. What is the desires of your tongue? What you say, what you speak. James chapter one, James chapter three, I'm sorry. I'm gonna close with this. We put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We can, and we control their whole bodies. Also, a ship is very large and is pushed by strong winds, but a very small rudder controls that big ship. Make it go wherever the pilot wants. It is the same with the tongue. It is a small part of the body, but it brags about great things. The power of our tongue, the muscle, the little muscle between our teeth. That little bitty thing does a lot of damage. And in turn, it can do a lot of good. But let me ask you, what, can, what kind of damage does it create in us? What kind of damage can it create in each of our lives? You see, 
What you say about yourself, what you confess, what you speak, the lack of things that you have. It affects how we live. It creates a reality of what you expect in life. If you always say, if you only knew me, you only knew this, you don't know what I go through, you're speaking some poor relational things in your life. How many remember school? I know it was a long time for some of us. When I was in school, um, there was Mr. Hansel. Mr. Hansel was about 6'3", and and uh, he gave spankings. Uh, he could rock your world. I remember spanking me before because we were talking in the back of the class, me and three other guys. Called us up front and busted us real good, three licks apiece. He's left-handed. And I remember Mrs. Kruger. She was a quiet lady. She didn't say a whole lot. For some reason, what she said, we listened to every word she said. Mr. Hansel, we were too busy talking in the back because we weren't paying him any attention. Are you following me here? Controlling our mouth of what we say and how we say things. Miss Kruger didn't have a physical apparatus or a big paddle or, or something like that to keep us in line, keep us in operation what a class should. It's simply her words that she chose to speak. It brought reverence to her. Mr. Hansel didn't have as much respect. Oh, we liked him because he was fun. But we never took him as serious. I began to think about us and, and I walk with God and we really represented him well. What we say, the control we have, how big, those big mouths I showed you in the beginning, that just... It's an example to show you how hard it is to control and how big it is. There have been times in my life that I wish I could have went back and said what I said. Miss Kruger, I respected her. There's a teacher down at Richland. Her name's uh, Miss Vance. She's kind of a lot like sister, not sister, like uh, Miss Kruger was. You didn't have to second guess her. She didn't put up with anything with her students. But I can't tell you how many times my wife and I have had kids and parents come up and tell us what a difference she made in those kids' lives. You are no different. How you control your tongue and what proceeds out of it can have great authority, it can have no authority. It affects your life and it affects the lives of everyone around you. You may be here this morning, you're not a believer. Maybe you want to be. I don't know if this message really inspired you to want to accept Christ into your life. 
but there's no greater life that you can live than one that Christ lives in you. He can bring things in order. Check your spirit. Check your heart. If you want to at any time during the next now till we close, or even after everybody's gone, you want to come and pray, man, we want you to. Once you feel free to. born back in the when Adam and Eve were around the, the humanity brought a curse upon man they brought it upon man when Jesus came and he died on the cross he brought another promise that we can't overcome anything that we're up against and I want everybody in here I'm, I get tired of watching believers struggle so much throughout the years this is a year of overcoming. A year of overcoming your mouth, overcoming your unforgiveness, unforgiving, fear of overcoming, uh, your pride overcoming, uh, the draw of the world, desire to quit. For the first time in your life, you, are you tired of quitting? It has to be, you have to recognize. You have to bring things to, to submission about, to God and say, Father, I'm tired of all this. Whatever the topic is, I'm tired. It's time to bring this under control and bring it to you. This morning, if you're here and boy, you've really struggled with your mouth, it's got you in a lot of trouble. You need prayer. We had 37, 35 or 37 people in our pre service meeting in the back. If you're here and you need prayer, there'll be people up here to pray with you. Just agree with you. I'm kind of sick of things, aren't you? I'm kind of sick of things always controlling me. I want you to stand if you would.